0: Well, friends, let's pray together before we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, the truth is that we are in desperate need of your help. Without your light, we'll be in darkness. Without your spirit, we'll be in ignorance. Without your help, we won't be able to understand your Word. And we certainly won't be able to take your Word into our hearts. And so our prayer as we come to your word, Father, simply help us. Help us to get from it what you have for us there. Help us to love you more. Help us to rejoice in the truth. Help us to see things as they truly are. We pray all of these things in the name of your precious Son and our dear Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin with a question. And the question is this. Is Jesus Christ Morally dangerous is Jesus Christ Morally dangerous perhaps you think that that's not the sort of question that you should ask in a church But it was the question that the Pharisees were asking themselves and their answer to that question seemed to be an unequivocal Yes, yes, Jesus is morally dangerous the Pharisees which were a group of religious Jews who were particularly zealous for the law thought that Jesus was trying to overthrow the law of God. Jesus wasn't following the law, Jesus wasn't engaging in the law in the way that they thought he should, and so they thought he was trying to overthrow it. He thought, they thought he was trying to get rid of it. And because they thought that Jesus was trying to overthrow the law of God, they thought that Jesus was an enemy of God. And so, the Pharisees came up against Jesus, they opposed Jesus, with everything that they had. And this is what we see as we come to the word of God this morning. Starting in chapter 10, verse 1 of Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? The Pharisees asked Jesus this question to trap him, to trip him up. They asked him this question in order to expose him as someone who was morally dangerous, as someone who was opposed to the law of God and therefore opposed to God himself. And you know, this is something we've seen a few times already in the Gospel of Mark. The primary way that the Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up was by asking him questions designed To expose him. In Mark chapter 2 verse 24. They say to Jesus look why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. They tried to expose Jesus as breaking the Sabbath laws. In Mark chapter 7 they say why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders. But eat with defiled hands. Now there they weren't talking specifically about the law. They were talking about their own traditions. But as far as they were concerned their traditions were the law. And so they tried to trip him up again. Mark chapter 8, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. That's Jesus seeking for him a sign from heaven to test him. And so they said to Jesus, well, give us a sign. Show us what you're really made of. And then here in Mark 10, they ask Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so in a way, the Pharisees are kind of like a group of journalists that we see so often, following politicians around, trying to ask them tricky questions to trip them up and make them say something that's going to ruin their reputation, right? That's what the Pharisees are like. They're following Jesus around, they seem to always be there when he's teaching and they're trying to trip him up. Why? Because they think that Jesus is morally dangerous. Now, I think we should also note that people today think that Jesus and his followers are morally dangerous. What was true back then is true again today. Now, what I'm not talking about is people in the name of Jesus or Christians actually doing immoral things, which does happen. It's very sad. Sometimes Christians do immoral things. What I'm talking about is people actually looking at the Bible, actually looking at what Christians truly believe and saying, that's immoral, that's wrong. People today often think that our positions on divorce, marriage, sexual ethics, issues of life and death, and so on, are frankly immoral. Now this is an incredible, in a way, change of events. If you were walking around downtown Charlottetown a hundred years ago, people would have thought that good Christian people were moral people. But now we live in a very different context. Now people think that a lot of good Christian people are immoral people. A lot of people think that Jesus' teachings and the people who follow them are immoral. And so that's just to say we find ourselves in a similar situation to the Lord Jesus. We have people opposing us, people coming up against our teaching and begging the question, are you morally dangerous? Are you morally dangerous? And so jumping back into the word, as the narrative uh, progresses, this whole question starts when the Pharisees ask their question of Jesus. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And so let's look at Jesus' answer together. And what we'll see is that Jesus gives a careful and robust answer to the Pharisees' moral challenge. Right? Jesus does a little bit of careful moral reasoning and gives the Pharisees actually a very good lecture, a very good lesson on the law. You could say that Jesus is the greatest law professor that ever existed. The Pharisees thought they were the greatest law professors that ever existed. Um, But Jesus schools them at their own game. And so first, in verse 3, we see that Jesus brings them back to the right source. Jesus brings them back to the law of God. In verse 3, Jesus answers them and says, Well, what did Moses command you? Right? Jesus takes them back to the law. He affirms that they're actually going to the same source together. They're both going to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so Jesus is saying, well, in some sense, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the law of God. We're talking about what God has said already regarding human activity. And so... In a certain sense, this would have quieted the Pharisees down a little bit. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill the law. Jesus did not come to do away with the Torah. Jesus did not come to lift up other sources above the Torah, but rather he came uh, to fulfill the Torah, to, um, to give his credence to the Torah. And so Jesus takes them back to the right source. And then the second thing that he does is he corrects a misinterpretation. He corrects the Pharisees' misinterpretation of the law of God. Look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 4. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. And so here's the heart of the Pharisees' misinterpretation of the law of God. The Pharisees understood a legal protection to be a legal promotion. They understood a legal protection to be a legal promotion. If you were to actually go to the law of God, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 24, you would see there that a man is able to divorce his wife, but when he does, he has to give her a certificate of divorce. This is what the Pharisees quote, right? But the purpose of that certificate was to protect that woman, right? Because once divorced, uh, a woman was very vulnerable back in that society, and so their certificate of divorce was a legal protection. It was something designed to protect the woman and to ensure that the man wasn't divorcing her for frivolous reasons. And the problem that the Pharisees had is they thought, well, that means it's open season on divorce, God is promoting divorce. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're taking a legal protection and misinterpreting it as a legal promotion. And if you go back and look at the historical evidence of the time, what you'll see is that divorce had become rampant amongst the Jewish people. And men were divorcing their wives for, frankly, silly reasons. right? For trivial reasons, frivolous reasons. And Jesus is saying, this is not the spirit of the law. God doesn't like divorce. God makes provisions for divorce in certain circumstances due to the hardness of the human heart. And so the Pharisees were treating divorce like it was a positive command of God. And so after fixing uh, the Pharisees' misinterpretation, after making it clear that God's laws about divorce are legal protections, not legal promotions, Jesus reminds them of God's plan. God, Jesus reminds them of God's good plan for marriage. Uh, verse 5 and verse 6. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I'm used to the old language, let no man put asunder. <laughs> let no man separate. So Jesus is taking them back to the very beginning of the Bible. He says, if you look in Genesis 1 and 2, what you'll see is that God created marriage to be a good thing. Right? God created marriage to be a beautiful thing. It was God's means by which he would fill the world with people It was God's means by which humanity would be fruitful and multiply. And God looked down on marriage and said, this is a very good thing. This is something that I like. This is something that I love. And Jesus brings us back to the original plan of God because he's trying to show the Pharisees that divorce is an undoing of God's good plan. Right? Divorce is an undoing of the good thing that God is trying to do in the world. And there's that great line, what God has put together, let no man put asunder, let no man separate, right? And in this sense, um, Jesus is showing that to divorce someone is to try to undo the work of God. But the truth is you can't really undo the work of God, right? If you're one flesh, you can't separate it. And so Jesus gives us a picture in a sense that divorce is kind of like an amputation, right? It's a ripping apart of something that God has put together. Now this reveals something quite sobering about humanity. This whole conversation reveals what Jesus calls hardness of heart, right? Jesus is saying, God makes provision for divorce not because he likes divorce. God loves marriage. God created marriage, that's what God likes. But God made provision for divorce because of the hardness of the human heart, right? there's divorce in the world because human beings are abusive because human beings are negligent because human beings are unkind and greedy and selfish right? Um, and i know i know that divorce is a touchy subject and i know that there's great sorrows and that there's great sadnesses um, associated with divorce i know that there's great angers associated with divorce um, those who have had experience with it know that it's an awful thing. Nobody starts off their life wanting to get divorced. And so here we see that it's because of the hardness of the human heart that things like this exist. And I should also say that this is not the point in time to be proud. Or this is not the point in time to think, well, I've never gotten divorced, and so I guess this isn't talking about me. What Jesus is showing us here is that divorce exists in the world, Because people like us are the ones who get married, right? And we make grave mistakes, we make horrible mistakes, and things go badly. And sometimes we have to take drastic measures to fix what has gone so horribly wrong. And so Jesus is making that point, that the law reveals the hardness of the human heart. And this is another thing which the Pharisees had gotten wrong. You see, the Pharisees looked at the law and said to themselves, I think I can do that. The Pharisees looked at the law and said, Well, here are 613 rules which will help me be a good person, and I'm pretty sure I can fulfill all of them, so that's what I'm going to try to do, and then God will like me. Then I'll be a good person. But in fact, what the law actually does, if you read it, is it reveals to you the hardness of your own heart. That's the purpose of the law. Right, it reveals to you the hardness and the wickedness of your own heart. Now that's uncomfortable, which is why the Pharisees didn't like to do it. But if we come to the law honestly and if we read it helped by the Spirit, what's going to happen is the own, heart, our own sin, the hardness of our hearts is going to be exposed and is going to be revealed uh, to us and if we're in a group, to the people around us as well. And so... Um, this is primarily what Jesus is trying to do to the Pharisees. He's trying to say, you're totally misinterpreting the law. You're totally getting it wrong. And if you were actually to look at the law, it would level you. It would lay you down and show you that you need help, that you need a Savior. But because of your pride, you can't see that you need a Savior. Now, if you move on to the last little bit of what Jesus says, we see that Jesus takes the Pharisees back to the Ten Commandments. Sorry, not the Pharisees. After, uh, after he's had his conversation with the Pharisees, he goes off by himself with his disciples, and then he says this, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now it's interesting here, Mark's Gospel is the only place where it's recorded that Jesus says the same thing for both men and women. Right. Men, if you divorce your wife and remarry, you cause your wife to commit adultery. Women, if you divorce your husband and remarry, you cause him to commit adultery. And so it's equal in that sense, right? Jesus is talking equally to men and women. But what he's doing is taking it back to the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments, um, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. And the church has long taught, based on good interpretation of the Bible, that the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law, right? So all the other 613 laws, in a sense, fall under the Ten Commandments, right? And to properly understand the law, what you have to do is, in a sense, trace any specific law back to one of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is teaching us that when it comes to divorce, the specific Ten Commandment, Tenth Command, or the specific commandment of the Ten Commandments that we're looking at is, thou shalt not commit adultery. Right, and so Jesus traces it back. And that teaches us that that command is to be interpreted broadly. Right? All sorts of things fall under that word adultery. All of them are bad. All of them are to be avoided. Um, and then, of course, some of you will know that Jesus summarizes the law even further. Right? He takes the Ten Commandments and shrinks them down to two commandments. And says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like unto it, you shall love the Lord your God as yourself. And so you can summarize the law even further and bring it back to those two things. And I think, you know, it's fairly clear that um, divorce is always the result of at least one person failing to love their neighbor. Right? Martin Luther famously said, God commands us to love our neighbors, and our wife is our closest neighbor. And so you should love her most. And it goes the same uh, for women with their husbands. Um, And so Jesus is simply making it clear that it's not that the Pharisees, it's not that the people are just breaking one of the many laws of the Old Testament, but that they're breaking one of the great principles of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament law. Now, all of this may seem very heavy, and perhaps it might even seem somewhat legalistic to some of you, And part of the reason for that is because Jesus is teaching on the law, right? Jesus is talking about the law, and the law is designed to convict us of our sin, right? And so I want to just point out uh, four ways that Jesus deals with the law. And I want to point out these four ways because this is how Jesus will use the law in each of your lives. This is how Jesus um, will use those words of scripture in your life. First off, by his spirit, Jesus will take you back to the word. That's what Jesus does with the Pharisees. He takes them back to the commands of Moses. He takes them back to the law. And that's what Jesus does with us when he wants to work change in our lives. That's what Jesus does with us when he wants to use the law in our lives. He takes us back to the word. And then two, graciously, he helps you to interpret it rightly. God, Jesus has given you his spirit and he has given you his word and with those two things you can rightly interpret the word of God. He's also given you the church, he's given you pastors so that you can rightly interpret the word of God. So he gives you the word and then he equips you with what you need to rightly interpret that word and then, this is the uncomfortable part, he uses that word to reveal the hardness of your heart. He uses that word to reveal the darkness of your heart. A lot of us don't like to do that. A lot of us don't like to come under conviction of sin. I don't love coming under conviction of sin. I know it's important, but that's what the law is used for. And then what Jesus will help you do, point number four, is bring you back to basic principles. He'll help you see that the law has these great themes, these great principles, which can be applied to Christian life. Now, some of you may have heard of the great uh, British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And for a while, Martin Lloyd-Jones had the practice of preaching the law in the morning and then preaching the gospel in the evening. And he said, you know, with the law, I reveal to people that they're sinners, and with the gospel, I show them that Christ is the great savior of sinners. But one day, in the midst of the Second World War, there was a great uh, air raid on London uh, in the afternoon. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was next to certain that some who had heard his sermon on the law had not survived long enough to go and hear his sermon on the gospel. And so Martin Lloyd-Jones decided from that point forward that he would never preach a sermon just on the law, that there should be enough of the gospel in every sermon to save a sinner. And so as we're looking at Jesus teaching on divorce, as we're looking at um, Jesus chatting with the Pharisees, it's clear... That He thinks divorce is a bad idea. It's clear that he thinks it's to be avoided. It's clear that he thinks um, remarriage is very unwise under most circumstances. Um, but Jesus is saying all of this. Jesus is teaching on the law, not to condemn you, not to simply say you'll never get in, not to say, well, you did that once, which means you're never going to get in. But rather, Jesus teaches on the law to bring you low enough to receive the gospel. Right, And what's fascinating is that at the very beginning of chapter 10, Mark tells us that he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And that simple geographical marker, if you read through the whole Gospel of Mark, teaches us that this is Jesus' last leg of the journey to Jerusalem. So from this point moving forward, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus has very clearly told his disciples that I'm going up to Jerusalem to die. And we know that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem to die for sinners like us, for people who have been divorced, right? for people who have broken the law. That's why Jesus came into the world, and that's why Jesus is making his way up to Jerusalem. And so know that the law is used of God to reveal the hardness of our hearts, but he only reveals the hardness of our hearts, not to condemn us, but to then give us the gospel and say, God loves people like you, God loves people like you who have done the things that you've done. It's also true that the law helps us to give, or helps us to live wisely. We as Christians can make use of the law, we can look at it, and it teaches us what's right and wrong, it teaches us what's good and bad, it teaches us what leads to flourishing and what doesn't lead us to flourishing. But it's so easy, I mean we're legalists by nature, it's so easy to look at the law and to say, this is what's going to save me. Right? If I can just follow the rules, that's what's going to save me. And I want to encourage you with all my heart that that's very foolish. <laughs> Don't think that way, because it can't save you. Only the gospel can save you. And so the law is there to reveal the hardness of your heart. But then Jesus gives you the spirit who softens your heart, and then draws your heart towards him, and then he preaches the gospel to you, and tells you that he's coming to the world to save sinners, just like You. And so, I want to finish with this. Some people think that the church exists in the world to be a great moralizing force, right? To preach the law, to tell people what's right and wrong, what's right and wrong, what's right and wrong. To condemn the sinner and to reward the saint. But as we read through the Bible, we see... That God makes people saints, yes, but that we're all still sinners. And so the church's primary role is not to moralize, not to teach the law, but to preach the gospel. And so we ought to be very careful when we preach the law to, yes, use it, to use it to reveal the hardness of the human heart, but then to be very clear that the gospel is that God saves people with hard hearts like us. He softens the heart and makes us whole. So with that, let's pray. Gracious God, the psalmist in Psalm 119 goes on and on about how much he loves your law, about how good it is, about how wonderful it is. And we believe that the law is good. We believe that the law is useful. But it's useful in revealing to us the hardness of our hearts and useful in ex- in exposing us to your holiness. But the law can't save us, Lord. So even as the law brings us low, we pray that you would lift us up by your gospel, that you would tell us that we're saved, that you would assure us that we're saved, and that you would help us, uh, based on that good assurance, to live holy lives that are pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.